Welcome to The Jest, the official podcast of Infinite Jest Theatre Company. I am your host, Colette Rutherford. Today's guest is actor, stuntman, and fight choreographer, Von Zell Carter. You may have seen Von Zell as Hamlet in Infinite Jest's recent Clowning Around with Shakespeare event, or in our partnership readings last fall with the Alliance of Los Angeles Playwrights and our staged reading of Junk Mail. You may also have seen Von Zell in a variety of roles at other Los Angeles theater companies, including The Blank, Little Fish Theater, Long Beach Playhouse, and South Coast Repertory Theater. Welcome, Von Zell. Thank you Thank for you joining for us me. this month. Why don't we start by telling people how we met? So, I mean, I know you remember it was The Blank because we've talked about that. Do you yes. remember the name of the, the play? The uh, yeah, the play was called the Osambi Deal. I still have the script, I believe, somewhere around here. Of course, and it was written by a woman I know, a friend of mine, a playwright back from North Carolina called Marilyn Alsamy. And when she asked me to direct it, I quickly went through my contacts and the blanks contacts, and we couldn't cast a particular role. So I reached out to our mutual friend, Infinite Jest company member Branda Locke and she recommended you and because all things are very small and tight you and Branda know each other from working at Archway together and that's how Branda and I know each other we just worked on different productions <laughs> that's great yeah indeed yeah it's a very very small world sometimes so when did you first know that you wanted to become an actor that would be no no that would probably be high school because I had a did I did church plays and there's always the hey he was always a performer and, and maybe I was maybe I was but I had to, I changed high schools my junior year and I went to a Catholic high school called Bishop McNamara in Forestville Maryland and at that time I felt like I wanted to pursue the theater drama a little bit more. I had a drama class in middle school, but the school I went to, that was not exactly the coolest thing in the world to do. So I thought new people, nobody really knows who I am. I'll branch out and try this thing. This will be the thing that I want to do, the elective that I want. So I chose theater arts my junior year. And that was also the first year that that teacher decided to do an extracurricular program basically like building an ensemble and whatnot. So I loved the class, I was very much into the class. And when I got the invitation to audition for the workshop, was it called Theater Arts Workshop? I said, absolutely. And after the audition, I think most people that stuck around the second day of the audition got in. Some people did not come back on their own. After that, we started building the ensemble, doing certain exercises, at the end of our year, it culminated into a legitimate sort of um, very minimalist high school production. That was the first sort of production, theater production that I had been a part of. And after that, I was sold. After that, I said, this is something that I want to do. Is anyone else in your family a theater person or an actor? You know, at the time, I didn't think so. And then... Once I got into college, 
and decided I wanted to continue pursuing theater and acting as a major and as a you know career path. Then my family goes, oh, hey, you know, your cousin's an actor. He was in Hollywood and da 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 da. And I didn't know who he was. Like they, they would tell me about him. And I think I may have met him once, but I had no communication with him at all until I came out to California for grad school. And then I got the same met, oh, you know, your cousin is, is an actor and he's in Florida right now. And so we've, we've communicated since then, but that's it. My, my dad is a performer in and of his own right, but not, not, he, he didn't want to pursue an acting career. Maybe he didn't think to pursue an acting career, but I would say that my brother and I, cause my brother's also an actor, he was inspired by me. And I think we both were inspired by sitting in the car with our dad and just having him go off on some improvised story about some person that he saw walking down the street. And he creates some wild scenario about <laughs> what's probably wrong with this person and why that's so funny. Or making up songs on the spot or taking songs that exist and changing the words. And, and so that's, that's what we were exposed to. But I, other than that, no. Outside of your involvement in church and school plays as a child, were you exposed to theater in other ways? Did your family take you to see plays? Yeah, I hadn't seen any theater as a kid. It was, you know, I would do some church plays or what have you, and then the, the, the stuff in high school. For me, it was going to the movies, watching things that were inspiring and exciting, and then immediately coming out of the theater and pretending that I was in that movie or trying to recreate the scenes I also had a, 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 I guess I still do, but I had a very active imagination as a kid. So I would sometimes create my own little stories that I was the star in, or I'd go outside and pretend that there was an alien invasion and I had the superpowers necessary to stop said alien invasion. And I would actually be out there fighting invisible <laughs> opponents and of course, destroying them, you know, because... Yeah, well, of I'm, course. I'm the only one there, so of course I win. Yeah. <laughs> I I was very similar as a child. Uh not aliens, I think, like dinosaurs and pirates and, and different things like that. But yeah. For anyone unfamiliar with you or your work, you are what I would call a very physical actor. You trained at CalArts for your MFA and you have extensive martial arts training. Was the transition or incorporation of stunt work and fight choreography into your career planned or did it just simply evolve? I would say it evolved. The physical aspect of the work that I do and the work that I like to do, I think was something that I had always pursued since undergrad. Uh, and I went to undergrad at Miami University in Ohio. But even there in the classes and also in the productions, I had a real problem standing still without any kind of physical activation. Hmm. But I also knew that moving around too much didn't feel right either. So I was wrestling with this dynamic of working towards whatever goal it is that I am trying to achieve as the character or what have you, while also not feeling trapped in my own body. And getting the tools, I think, in those classes and in martial arts and things like that helped 
helped me quite a bit. And I think coming out to California, getting out of grad school and finding myself in a place where I got to do the grind of finding the representation and going on the auditions and all of that stuff mixed with this dissatisfaction with what I was watching even on screen. I think I was definitely way too much of a film snob, way too much of an acting snob. <laughs> I would watch people and I'd go, why don't you just do something instead of stand there and just say your lines? Come on. And that was just because of what I was wrestling with myself. And that isn't to say that I throw punches and kicks with every line that I deliver. But physical activation for me is the through line. And so if I can deliver what it is that I need to deliver with my body as much as I can with the delivery of the words, then that is truly being in the moment. And so when I was in that crossroads, uh, myself and uh, a friend of mine that was from undergrad and someone that we knew mutually, who's a, a brilliant filmmaker, we just said, why don't we just go out and shoot something? And at the time, we were complaining about the the the, the lack of cool action that had existed in films. So we went out and did a video and just made up some choreography, did some fighting. <laughs> That's he put great, it together, put, put in some great sound effects. And then we posted it a, a week later or so, and it did all right. We got some positive responses and we uh, did another one and we worked harder. We did a few things differently. Uh, my friend got a new camera and that seemed to have a positive response as well. And so we, you know, we just, we kept going. And I think once I got a, a sort of deeper level of, of training, in, as far as like martial arts and stunt work and all of that stuff. That was not through osmosis. And I, I did not take any formal martial arts classes as a kid. This was all like after, <laughs> this of was course, all mostly yeah. after grad school. But once I, you know, once I got that deeper level of, of training, then I started to wonder, is it possible to create a character in an action film that does just as good acting as they do action and fight performance? And then not and on the other side is it possible to incorporate this more dynamic striking action on the stage where one is expecting more intricate powerful performances i'm still working on it but i think that that some good things have come from that that question one of the things on your resume that I was interested about, this is a program I have looked into, is that you attended La Mama Umbria International in Italy. What, what led you to make that decision and, and go do that training? That's an interesting one. That was, I think it was 2015, if I'm not mistaken. A teacher, a couple of teachers I had at CalArts, which is where I went to grad school, they have been doing a few times a year an acting class that is separate from when they were teaching. I think uh, he would do a, se a class separately at his home over the summer. And since they have retired, now they just do it a couple of times year round. In taking one, a, a few of the acting classes with, with them, Craig Belknap and Lou Poulter, after that, the, I believe it was the 
perhaps the summer class that I took. This was Craig's sort of idea, and I guess he had linked up with David Diamond of La Mama and La Mama Umbria specifically to bring a class to their compound in in Italy and do an intensive out in the open country. And I was approached, I think, in December of 2015 about the possibility of joining that program. And I said, sure. It was a blast. I, I miss it a lot. I think the thing that was great about it was, you know, it almost, it felt like a, a retreat of sorts. It felt like one of those sort of masterclass sessions where this is your focus. You're away from all of the uh, sort of chaos of the real world, so to speak, so that you can just sit down with other people around you and generate some wonderful material. We also had writers that were a part of the program. So in addition to doing scene work and monologue work, we would also read things that the writers were working on in Italy. And that was just a, a, a wonderful experience, uh, being out there and working with a, a wonderfully talented group of people in that space. You know, I think the space was really sort of the key that brought all of that together. I would definitely recommend it, whether or not it was through, you know, my mentors, Craig and Lou, or just the La Mama program in general. It was, it was really great. Do you have a favorite stunt project that you've worked on? I have two. One of them is uh, Captain America Civil War. And one of the biggest reasons why I that's definitely on my list of favorites is because the fight choreographer for that movie came in, in some ways, came from the group that I had mentioned previously, the, the, the couple of friends and I going out and just making videos. We started getting some attention. So people from the stunt community would, would ask to work with us or they would say, hey, what are you guys up to? I, there's this thing I want to do. Are you guys on board to trying it? And the fight choreographer for Civil War, James Young, was one of those people who watched our videos and was excited about what we were doing because he was also kind of doing the same thing and wanted to like team up. And so we ended up forming this group that was called Thousand Pounds. And we put out some some pretty viral videos at that time which was uh 2012-ish and he's he directly cites him getting that job on civil war to the work that we were doing just on our own wow. so that was great the other great part was that the the stunt team were also people who were looking at some of the videos that we were doing and also videos that others we're doing the same thing, just getting people together, coming up with some ideas, trying out choreography and things like that, trying out different ways to shoot the choreography. And the stunt coordinator for Captain America Civil War was one of those people who were interested in bringing that kind of, of talent to certain larger projects. It was also just really fun. I think it was my first huge film that I worked on yeah. working with 
major stars, Sebastian and Chris Evans and Scarlett Johansson. I directly got to work with those people, just, you know, tiny, tiny bits, but that was great. And the team that I went down there with were very cool. They were all interested in doing some great work and just having fun. Funny enough, my, my second favorite project is Extraction that was on Netflix. One of the reasons is because that's my first full run of a show. So from prep to last shot, I was there as part of the action team for that whole, for whole bit. Also, the director of Extraction is the stunt coordinator for Captain America Civil yeah. War. And so it really just felt like a, a bunch of friends who are out in the, the stunt community doing the same thing getting together and having fun on a yeah. project that just has a lot of money attached to it. What about a favorite theater experience or role? I think that would have to be this play called Eternal Thou, which was done by Matt McRae at, at Son of Semele. Original project, he basically took the philosophical musings of Martin Buber and turned it into a theatrical production, which still kind of has relevance today as we talk about net neutrality is probably going to be coming back now that the um that ajit pai is leaving and we're, we're getting a new uh, fcc mm -hmm. person but yes the play was dealing with issues of net neutrality and what happens when you have entities that control these pipes and the play centered around an ensemble of abstract beings that were there to witness and hopefully nurture the internet, which was the character that I played. I played the internet. <laughs> it was a role where I got basically carte blanche on my, phys my physical experimentation. The, uh, the director specifically said that he wanted me to go as far as I could in terms of how I would physically create this role and depending on the limitations of the space or the direction that we were going in, we would shave some things and edit some things. But that was that was a character that I got to build in, in the ideal physical way, I think. And if I came up and said, hey, I'm going to try flipping off this table, the director would say, okay, let's see what happens. Uh, that was really exciting. The ensemble was was also really great. That that was the production that ended up going to uh, the South Coast Rep for a couple of shows. But yeah, yeah, I still think about that show not just because of the material, but also because of the the freedom that I felt I had with the role. It was abstract. It was pretty much anything that I could make it. So yeah, that was that was fun. <laughs> With all of your work in film and television and theater, I mean, you've even done the prerequisite co-star on daytime soap operas. Uh, do you prefer <laughs> theater or film or television? It's very different, I know, like apples and oranges, but do you have a preference? Yeah, you know, I used to, I used to think, there were a lot of things I thought when I was young and idealistic. First thing was, I could play anything, which might be true, but I also have learned that it's better to it's better to go out with either a plan 
or it's better to go knowing who you are and 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 what you want to do rather than going out and just trying to do it all. The other thing I've learned is that these mediums are very different and not just in terms of what is technically required, that there is, there is a lot of power in being able to distill and compress something for the screen that if done in a particular theater house uh, might be missed by a lot of people. Yeah. And in particular, with regard to like my my desire to be physical, theater lends itself more of a, a great playing space for that experimentation mm -hmm. as opposed to something on a screen. And that being said, I'm reminded of performances of Jude Law and Road to Perdition, where he is doing something that is so subtle and yet so specific yeah. in that characterization and that mm -hmm. physicality that you for me I was just I was drawn to it immediately and so that kind of distillment and physicality can work on screen I think I prefer the theater if I had to make a choice with film being second not necessarily a close second but at the end of the day being able to see a person or character's arc from beginning to end and see their story unfold and also have the book closed, hopefully, on their story, I think is, is gratifying in a sense. I also think that there are more artistic liberties that are given, not just in the, in the performance arena, but also in the presentation arena with theater and film as opposed to television. It's television, you're on a time crunch. And so whatever works, you kind of stick with it and you, you turn that into a formula so that you can just get your day. And in, in film, there might be an opportunity to do something that is a little unconventional for the purpose of highlighting a part of a story or telling a part of a story in an interesting way that still gets to a conclusion. But yeah, if I had to, if I had to, if I had to give a, a, a tiered list, I would say theater, just because of what I would be mm -hmm. able to do when my interpretation of my part. Film, a second, because of the possibilities in utilizing whatever it is that I do to serve that story and whatever tools that they would use to enhance or highlight that. And then television uh, would, be, would be third. Not to say that I wouldn't do all three of them <laughs> because I, I sure. yeah there aren't too many of us actors that uh <laughs> would turn down a paying gig that is for sure right yeah. in a lot of ways in a lot of ways 2020 was a year of reckoning and hopefully change for many theater companies and artists as a person of color what would you like to see change in our theater community as we move forward with inclusivity and diversity? This is another one of those things that I think that I had one idea in in my say younger <laughs> days. <laughs> I'm still fairly young, all things considered. But in in the in my undergrad days, uh, where I thought I could do everything, I I believe I was advocating for colorblind mm -hmm. casting. And now I do not believe that that is an effective way 
uh, not only to cast a project, but also to tell a story. Because I've lived enough life, I think, to learn that the things that I go through in my life that are a product of <laughs> what I look like to other people will be different from someone else's. And to erase that for purposes of diversity or inclusion, I think misses the value that is that can be mined from acknowledging that people come from different walks of life, from different socioeconomic statuses, from different nationalities, from different cultures. And so what I think I'd like to see is an acknowledgement, a conscious acknowledgement of that in casting for shows, even for shows that may not necessarily by default have a role for those, for that kind of, of exploration. For example, one of the things I think I'd like to do is direct, I, it's been done before, I believe, but I would like to direct The Crucible with an all-black cast, specifically paying attention to the church culture in the black community. Because I remember, this was a few years ago when I was just reading The Crucible, there was something about this idea of possession that reminded me of something that I observed or noticed during my years in the church, to which someone who is not familiar with, you know, Southern Baptist church culture might see as a form of possession, if you will. Whether it is or not, whether it's put on or not, that's a, a definite question to be explored, but from a different avenue, I think. And so that would be me not necessarily doing colorblind casting. It would be, I, I want to tell this Black story using these words, if possible. I'd like to see more of that. I'd like to do away with this idea of colorblind casting because uh, it's run its course and I don't think it has, I don't think it has done us any, any favors uh, as people of color. I don't think it's done any favors for the theater community at large because we are people with different experiences. And I think that's gotta be, that's gotta be represented in the narrative work, even if it's not coming from the right. words on the page. I mean, even beyond color conscious casting, actually telling more of the stories and more diverse stories and really bringing it in from the ground up, uh, which is something that a lot of people have given word <laughs> to over the last year and in some cases longer. Some people have been doing this work a lot longer. So hopefully it will, it will come about. Mm -hmm. I'm definitely... I don't know how you feel about this, but one of the things that I'm in definite agreement about is, you know, stop just telling the stories of slavery and victimhood. There are so many other great stories and uplifting stories and important stories. And by simply just retelling those stories or focusing on those stories, you perpetuate not the right kind of ideas or, or thinking or opportunities for artists of color. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. The more that I have been listening to interviews with historians and biographical authors, the more that I've realized that 
there the the adage of you know history is written or told from the perspective mm -hmm. of the victors is is true I, I also think that the narrative of our progress as a species is our own <laughs> it, which means that at any point in time we have the ability to say we're going to tell this story differently we're going to be truthful about it we're going to be transparent about it we can do that and as artists i feel like it's probably more incumbent upon us to be the arbiters of that movement because we don't have to be beholden to a certain political narrative or a narrative that's going to shape how our society is viewed through the rest of the world i'm just thinking about you know the narrative of the uh, american mm. exceptionalism yeah <laughs> uh, which <laughs> has shown itself to be uh, well in case in, in case people didn't know about uh, it before in, yeah definitely in, yeah in case people didn't know about it before but and, and you know it, it's interesting because it, uh for extraction we shot that in india and and thailand and that was the first time that i had been out of the country to work on on a film and it was the first time I think that I got to see just how much in high regard Americans are held mm -hmm. by people in different countries. I could, well, I actually could not walk down the street in India and, and get asked for my autograph because in, there are some places in India where they just yeah. assumed I was, I was one of them, <laughs> which was really surprising to me because I'm living in a place where <laughs> I am being looked at in a very particular way here in America. It's unmistakable as much as I wanted to, speaking of narratives, as much as I wanted to forge my own narrative as someone who is mixed with a lot of different things, there were definitely moments in my life where I was seen as just another black dude. Or I was seen as someone who needs to be randomly selected for certain searches yeah. uh, as I went through airports. When I went to India, it just they never paid attention to me. But for some of the people on my action team, including someone who was uh, an African American, taller, muscular, super nice gentleman, his name is Brandon, they would go to him in awe. They would want to shake his hand. They would want to ask him questions. They would want to get his autograph. They would want to take pictures with him because they assumed because of the way he looked that he had to be somebody famous. He had to be some kind of athlete. And that struck me as, as interesting because they are getting their information from media yeah. sources. And so if we, if we as artists who are working in this media, if we tell stories a little bit more honest and without playing into certain tropes, even historical tropes, as, as you're talking about, then we can be in some ways at the forefront of that level of, of integrity and, and transparency. So I think that we do, in a certain sense, have a huge responsibility, not just for the rest of the world, but particularly for ourselves, for children that will be growing up watching the things that we create. Let's try to make something that gives them a sense of what this place actually is and also what it can be, as opposed to playing into the sort of corporate or uh, 
the tried and true political ideology that <laughs> kind of got us into the mess that we're in right now. Vanzel, how do you feel the predominantly white, definitely patriarchal structure of theater has impacted you as an artist? The funny thing is for me, I, 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 don't, I don't think I know. When I was starting out, I understood that there was a, a framework that I would be working against just by virtue of who I am and what I look like. And my goal was to transcend that. In some cases, I think I have, but recently I have been sort of re-examining past theatrical experiences. And there are some cases where I definitely know that it didn't matter. And I had a, I had a wonderful mentor in undergrad, an African-American genius in his own right, Dr. Paul Jackson, who passed away in 2018. And he was an advocate for telling Black stories on the stage unapologetically. And I was able to do that with him a few times while I was an undergrad and would always get encouragement from him post. I went back in, I think, 2011? No, it was 2014. I went back to do another show at my undergrad. It was He was directing. It was another Black show. It was unapologetic. It was... Um, Crumbs from the Table of Joy by Lynn Nottage. And so there were times that I definitely could sense that it didn't matter and that I was above it, <laughs> as it were. But in some cases, I had to go back and question, what was the reason that I may not have gotten such and such part? What was the reason that I was led in this direction instead of this direction, which is what I was auditioning for. We had talked about this uh, previously. There have been very few times that I have auditioned for a lead role and and was offered. I'm I'm not one to to toot my own horn. Um, I love doing the work, and I always believe that I have a lot more work to do. But that has seems to have been a through line throughout the course of my acting career just in terms of stage, that I would audition for a, a lead part and then I would get offered something else. And, you know, I don't, I don't speak ill or wish ill of any of those individuals that did get those lead roles. And I just did my work. I put my head down and I did my work. But I do wonder whether or not it, it had to do with who I was and what I looked like. And so I think that, that that's a problem in a sense, because if I, it, it, if I have to question it mm. and question it from a place of humility and a place of retrospection, then it, there's probably some forces at work that are below my awareness. And if that's how deep the foundations are, then I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done to uncover what those things are, what those implicit biases are, and there's a lot of work to, to reconcile what that is and, and put one foot in front of the other, as messy as it, as it is, and, and restructure what these systems are in the American theater that overtly or otherwise prevent people that are not of the patriarchal or uh, white class thrive. Because as, as we were saying before, people come from different 
cultures and backgrounds and all of that stuff can be juicy, but it, it has to be seen. It has to be shown. Yeah. It has to be good. <laughs> like, let's not, let's not kid ourselves. We, we want quality storytelling, but quality storytelling can come from a lot of different places and can come in a lot of different ways. Definitely. Yeah. Obviously with the pandemic still raging, opportunities are limited, but do you have any upcoming or current projects? At the moment, I do not. I have been very focused on trying to survive. <laughs> we, are, we are healthy here at my home, but I have two small children, one who is six years old and refuses to do anything I tell him to do. The, the other is a year old. He turned a year last week and he just won't sleep at all. My wife also works, she works in television, and so her schedule is busy. We both agree that it kind of shouldn't be based on what's going on in LA in the pandemic at this point in time, mm -hmm. but she's paying the bills at the moment. And so for now, my focus has really been to be a, a guiding force for my oldest. Because the same things that I talk about and think about with respect to myself and the arts and theater, I'm also thinking for him, I, I want him to have an understanding of who he is so that he is comfortable no matter what happens <laughs> in this country, as the recent events have shown that we are quite divided in a lot of different ways. Uh, I want him to have a strong foundation and I've learned that to do that at this point in time, I have to be here. And hopefully, if opportunities do come my way, I will be able to, through that work, also set the example and help guide him. For example, at, in the uh, production of the Around with Shakespeare that, that you directed, he was sitting on the steps most of the time for rehearsals. And after the show, he spent the next few weeks quoting ah. Hamlet. Ah, I love that. <laughs> he spent the next few weeks uh, uh, quoting things from the show or asking me things about the show that he may not that he may have gotten confused about. Uh, and that's great. He's had a theater class virtually in in his school. Mm -hmm. So he's excited to come tell me about what they've done or ask me questions about it. So that's been that's been great. We'll see. I think when productions pick back up, I'll probably uh, start doing some more work. But for now, I have a, I have a task. I have an objective. I would so, say it's the most important project. I'm going, I'm going through all of the tactics that I can think of. <laughs> right? to how's, your, how's your fight, fight choreography helping you with that? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> For anyone interested in seeing Von Zell as Hamlet in our Clowning Around with Shakespeare event, it is still available to stream on the Infinite Chest YouTube channel. Von Zell, where can people find you on social media? Man. This should be an easy question. Unfortunately, it's not for me because I'm typically not on social media on that all that much, but you can search my name and find me. You can search for the older videos that, that I've done on YouTube to search thousand pounds. They'll probably show up. I, there are two Instagram accounts for me. One has a, has a imperceptible name. So I think if you just search for my name, you will find that, but you'll also find one that is uh, called Daddy Does the Voices. That's an account that I wasn't supposed to know about. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my, my wife has taken hmm. to secretly recording me 
reading books to my children uh, oh, and placing awesome. excerpts of them on Instagram. And it sounds like it's doing well. I have purposefully avoided looking at, at, at it just because I, ugh, I get uncomfortable. Oh, but see, listening to myself. For people who watched the Clowning Around with Shakespeare event or who are going to after listening to this podcast, they will get a taste of some of your wonderful it, voices <laughs> like Mickey Mouse and, and what did I have to do? Yeah. Elmo <laughs> and, um, and other fun, silly things. Yes. Yes. And yes. what about your website? I have one, but I do I'm not sure when the last time I looked at it was. <laughs> Anyone looking for Von Zell's website, it is about.me <laughs> slash Von Zell Carter. Thank you so much to Von Zell for being this month's guest. And thank you for joining us. You can find out more about Infinite Jest and our upcoming events, including our classic comedy readings kicking off our 2021 season, on our website, Infinite Jest Theater with an R-E, company.org or by following us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Ingest Theater, again with an R-E. You can also follow this podcast with the hashtag The Jest Podcast.